0: All Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So super excited with the guests that we have joining us today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, and all the above, all the good stuff that we like to hear. He's done it multiple times and very successfully so. So again, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Rajiv Kemani. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Alejandro, for having me on this show. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you again for inviting me to Dealmakers. Makers. So originally born in India,
0: Rajiv, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there?
1: Uh, Life in India was very good. I've been very blessed with a great family. Uh, My father was a senior official in the Indian government, would get transferred from place to place. So I was born in the western state of Gujarat in India. I lived for several years in, in the northern part in Himachal, which is close to the Himalayas. Uh, But did my high schooling and college in New Delhi, um, where, uh, you know, made a lot of friends and finished my undergraduate degree in computer science uh, at the IIT in New Delhi. So uh, all in all, it was just uh, tremendous. You know, I have fond memories of growing up in India.
0: Now, in your case, you know, obviously the uh, career, you know, one thing led to the next and then all of a sudden you find yourself. In the United States, you know, the American dream, the land of opportunity, you were, you were going after your PhD at NYU. So how was that transition coming here and seeing all the opportunity around you in such a city like New York City?
1: Yeah, so New York was the very first time I left India. So it was the first time I'm uh, uh, coming to the US, the first time I was leaving India. You know, New York City is a fascinating place, lots and lots of people, uh, lots of activity uh, all around. Uh, so in many ways, actually, it's similar to India. India's got a lot of people, as you know, um, and uh, NYU in downtown New York City is is just an amazing place with uh, the campus that's part of the city. Um, you know, and, uh, so I came here. It was it was good fun. You know, I was uh, excited to be part of the PhD program, um, and and what it what turned out was I I did a couple of years at uh, NYU. And finished my masters, and uh, I came to the conclusion I was more interested in applied stuff rather than theoretical stuff, and I wanted to get some industry experience and then you know, I left uh, New York to go to California uh, and never m- never went uh, uh, went back. so I got my master's at NYU but again NYU was was a great great time and uh, learned a lot and made lots of good friends.
0: I mean, you definitely have uh, come to the United States and, you know, took a, a piece out of every, you know, incredible university. I mean, NYU, then Stanford. I mean, in Stanford, you were doing more of the business side. Is that right?
1: You know, after I came to California, Silicon Valley, which is really the mecca of all technology, um, I started out as a software engineer at a company called Sun Microsystems, uh, which was a hot Unix workstation company and server company really was a foundation of internet infrastructure. Um, And uh, as I was doing that, I got interested in um, talking to customers, explaining, uh, communicating the technology and the value proposition of the technology. And I wanted to move into the sales and marketing side. I tried to get into sales and marketing at Sun, but they said I was very technical and needed a little more business uh, background, if you will. And uh, so I applied to business school and was, again, fortunate to be selected uh, at Stanford University, where I did my MBA. Um, and, uh, and that really allowed me to interact with some of the leaders, leading entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, uh, allowed me to, again, build great friendships uh, with folks in my class, uh, and then went go back to, to Sun Microsystems into more of a product management type of a role.
0: I mean, obviously, you did uh, a little bit more of the corporate side of things, but then eventually you ended up launching your first company, Netboost. So how did the whole idea of Netboost come about? I mean, you were coming from India. You know, in India, there's a lot of pressure around getting the best studies, working at the best companies. And you were you had accomplished that, you know, NYU, Stanford, Sun Microsystems. But then all of a sudden you decide that it's time to take the leap of faith. So walk us through The different sequence of events that needed to happen for you to be comfortable with heading into the unknown.
1: You know, my uh, education at Stanford really influenced me a lot. Um, I had the opportunity to take a bunch of classes from leading venture capitalists. I took a class from Andy Grove, who used to be the uh, CEO of Intel at the time, and uh, got really uh, familiar with, uh, you know, met with a lot of successful entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, I certainly met with uh, Scott McNeely and Vinod Khosla at, at that time. And I was, uh, I was really fascinated by how uh, people could create companies and make them successful. And so there were a number of, I would say, role models or people that inspired uh, me to do uh, something like this. But having said that. I look at my career more as a lot of uh, uh, friendships, relationships, and then serendipity. So the, how NetBoost got started, and I, I didn't found NetBoost, uh, but I, I was working at NetApp and we did the very first acquisition that NetApp ever did, a company called Internet Middleware. And the, the CEO of that company didn't, did not join NetApp and he went and founded uh, NetBoost. And he called me several months later and he said, hey, would you like to come work? Uh, for us and uh, uh, you know so i applied the formula that has worked well uh, for me since then which is you know um go uh, with and work with people that you know go work with excellent teams um and uh, the a lot of the folks at netboost were from sun microsystems you know one of my stanford friends uh, was an investor uh, in netboost And so that kind of led me, gave me the confidence to jump into it. And uh, it was also an exciting time. Uh, Internet was early and Netboost was trying to build uh, what really became uh, as a a category called network processor. And Netboost was one of the pioneers in that space. And so that was also very exciting. So all of those combined uh, uh, got me uh, to jump into my very first startup.
0: What what employee number were you at Medboost?
1: I was, I uh, don't remember exactly, but I was, uh, uh, you know, it was a very small company, not around for a long time. It was probably in the, uh, you know, in the 10 or so, something like that. I
0: mean, it's still considered intrapreneurship, you know, because you took that uh, leap of faith too of joining a tiny company, you know, from what you were used to. But, you know, in this case, you know, uh, the company ended up, you know, achieving a really nice outcome. You know, it was acquired uh by Intel for about 225 million you know which uh, I'm sure that that gave you visibility into what the full cycle of a company looks like so what visibility did that give you into that
1: well it was interesting to build a disruptive product from scratch it wasn't a category that existed it was um this idea that uh in order for internet to achieve its full potential it needed to go faster and it needed to become much more secure. And I think that was uh, an important uh, aspect. And so it was kind of going and trying to figure out which customers would care about it. Would they be enterprises? Would they be uh, system companies? You know, talking to customers, figuring out the product definition. Uh, So that was a big learning through that process. Uh, And then once we became part of Intel, all of a sudden, you go from being a little startup with not a lot of resources uh, to a company that has tremendous resources uh, and an infrastructure in terms of not just capital, but also the, the brand and the sales and marketing channels. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a, a good transition.
0: And then you were in, at Intel, you know, for about five years. And then, you know, it was time to turn page. So what was the next chapter?
1: Again, through same same theme that you'll see again and again, which is through uh, certain connections, um, I I got connected to Cavium. It was great to see Cavium had a great team. You know, it was the DEC Alpha team, bunch of uh, very smart folks from Cisco, and uh, uh, it was uh, funded by some good uh, good investors. So I joined as the very first VP of Marketing uh, at Cavium, and. Um, and and again the idea was what cavium was trying to do was uh, it was again similar theme infrastructure focused on networking and security applications uh, but really trying to to do it in a very innovative fashion um and uh, and so it was again it seemed very attractive i saw the the cavium uh, i met the cavium team very impressed with their track record and the backgrounds and uh, so it, was very confident that there's something really big that could come out of this.
0: So then what happened next year?
1: So I stayed on at Cavium for 10 years. Four years into the company's uh, existence, we took it public. So I was part of the management team that took the company public on Nasdaq in 2007. Um, That timing worked out well because 2008 is when the big crash happened. Um, and we build a, a very broad portfolio of networking processors, of multi-core processors, of security processors, and we made a massive impact on the internet. So we built chips that drove over ninety percent of e-commerce um, through uh, SSL accelerators. We built chips that drove majority of the VPNs uh, that powered a lot of the VPNs. We, we built chips that powered a lot of mobile infrastructure, you know, on 3G, 4G, uh, and then later on even with 5G networks. So Cavium played, I think, a very pivotal role, a very high-impact role in making uh, the Internet uh, what it is today um, and continues to do so. Uh, again, I stayed on for 10 years. Uh, most recently, I was the chief operating officer uh, at, at Cavium. Cavium continued to grow uh, very well, eventually ended up hitting a billion dollars in, in annual revenues. Uh, we had a multi-billion dollar IPO on NASDAQ, and, uh, uh, and eventually Cavium was acquired for uh, greater than $6 billion by uh, Marvell, uh, another large, successful uh, infrastructure provider.
0: And obviously someone that uh, you ended up knowing very well because your next company, you sold it to them, too. So um, so one thing here that I, that I thought it was really interesting, you know, as part of your journey is that eventually you decide, you know, that uh, you wanted to take a look at what it looked like to being on the other side of the table. So how was that, you know, be a moment moment ventures? I mean, how was it like, you know, like to, you know, put some tickets into into founders that you thought, you know, were to something interesting?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, Moment was uh, an excellent experience. I mean, the idea was that work was changing and uh, it was uh, becoming, you know, software as a service was an important uh, trend that had happened, uh, again, driven by the internet infrastructure that we had enabled. Um, Software as a service and other applications like e-commerce and video started to uh, become uh, prominent on, on the cloud. And so the idea was: Can we help entrepreneurs to build applications, you know, fund them, and so forth? And so uh, that was the theme that Moment has and continues to have. Moment is uh, an uh, early stage, seed stage, and Series A stage uh, uh, venture capital fund uh, firm in Silicon Valley. Uh, but through my experience at Moment, what I saw was it gave me the opportunity to look at hundreds maybe even a thousand different um, um startup founders pitching their companies and uh, you know through that process obviously these guys are passionate driven uh, great ideas uh, but you also see uh, who are folks that that have the potential to build a successful business versus people that are technologists or um, really need more work to figure out right and so as you as you watch uh, uh, lots and lots of entrepreneurs. Um, you learn a lot about this, and in that process, you meet a lot of people. And And through that process is how I uh, met my uh, co-founder uh, for, for the next company, Inovium.
0: So let's talk about that. How did you guys meet, and why did you thought it makes it sense to jump in You know, with, with him and, and to make it happen? Because Inovium was quite a success.
1: Yes, it, it was. And... Uh, Again, the theme that I have, if you if you string it all together, is you know friendships, relationships, uh, and great teams, right? And that's really the basic idea. So, uh, just completely by chance, I met one of my friends who was uh, uh, who I knew from my undergraduate days in computer science at IIT at a restaurant in Silicon Valley, and we hadn't kept in touch, but we ran into each other. Um, and we said, okay, let's catch up and so forth. And we met a few months later and we said, is there an opportunity? You know, as a VC, my, my standard line that I would use again and again was, Hey, what are you doing in a big company? You ought to do a startup in Silicon Valley. And that's what Silicon Valley is all about. And so he said, look, I, I I work in a company called Broadcom. It's a large company. Uh, people had become scared of investing in brand new semiconductor startups. So it really doesn't make sense to do that. Uh, but he was interested. So uh, he was one of my co-founders, Puneet Agarwal. Uh, and uh, we said, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's go find and see if there would be other VCs that would have the fortitude to bet on, on a semiconductor startup, uh, right? Let's bring Silicon back into Silicon Valley type of a theme. Um and uh we tried it and over a few months we found some uh, people that were willing to take a bet on the people the basic idea we saw was that as the infrastructure was transitioning from enterprises and telcos to the cloud there was an opportunity to build a product that was from the ground up it was cloud optimized if you will uh for networking and so we said let's build a company let's put together a team and again a lot of folks from broadcom uh just a super talented team. Um, and so there, there we found some uh, VCs who were willing to bet on the team, the opportunity and the vision we had. Uh, and we really didn't have a product idea uh, when we got this uh, started. But once it got started, it took a life of its own.
0: Yeah, no kidding. How much capital did you guys raise uh, over the course of the life of the business, which was about seven years?
1: Uh, we raised uh, north of $300 million. For uh, for Innovium, uh, you know, we started out building a chip in a leading process technology node. Um, the chip is, you know, one of the biggest chips uh, in the semiconductor space, you know, uh, many, many billions of transistors in a single device. It was the very fastest uh, uh, chip in terms of bandwidth in the world. And we were targeting very large... Um, cloud customers um, as cloud companies, hyperscale companies as customers. And so we had to not just build a chip, but also put together a a tremendous amount of software around it. So it took a lot of capital to get to the first product, but we were able to not just execute on it, but win some really big name customers uh, that allowed us to uh, raise more money and and, uh, kind of ramp up our revenues.
0: Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So, I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So, I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital-raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And now in your case, I mean, you've raised quite a bit of money, you know, throughout your career. In fact, we're going to be having a, a nice, you know, uh, you know, news that you're going to be, you know, breaking here uh, today with all of us. Uh, and we'll get that in just a little bit with your latest company, right? Now, and that is with Aradin. Now, before we get there, you know, you've raised, you know, a lot of money during your uh, journey as an entrepreneur. What would you say are the three biggest stakes that you've taken, you know, from from that success in raising all that money? that uh, you think you know could be very helpful for all the founders that are listening to us right now.
1: Yeah. A- absolutely. So I've raised approximately half a billion dollars, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 million dollars through my career. And I've raised funding from early stage investors, mid stage investors, late stage investors, um, also been involved in an IPO, have interacted with investors uh, representing public company you know, mutual fund and hedge fund investors. So, the takeaway obviously is slightly different depending on the stage of the company and the type of investors uh, you're dealing with. Uh, in the early stage of the company, um, investors are really looking for uh, uh, people who are um, ideally, obviously, people who have the track record and the experience and some domain expertise, especially in. Uh, in hard tech or deep tech or infrastructure areas where it requires a lot of upfront capital um that is an important element of it so some domain knowledge is very critical having a strong team uh, that can execute is very critical um you know s- uh, alignment with some big secular theme is an important aspect of it so you know today for example if you're bu- trying to build a hardware products shipping into SMBs, VCs are not interested in that, right? But if you're working on AI or if you're working on um, security for cloud and edge applications, that's an attractive area to be in. So the type of market, those are all very important uh, attributes in the early stage. As you go to mid-stage and late-stage, people always look for proof points and so timing it right is very critical i mean i uh, the one thing i believe is i really don't talk to pcs about funding unless i have hit a few milestones uh, and i can very concretely point out what has been achieved since the previous fundraising round and uh, and also being very clear in in what this funding round will uh, deliver uh, going forward and so uh, as you get later, obviously, the product, the customer, the technology, the patents, the revenue forecasts become much, much more uh, important. And to be able to uh, articulate the the vision along with all of that is critical uh, as part of, uh, of fundraising.
0: So in this case, you know, going back to Innovium, you know, tremendous, tremendous outcome. You know, the company ended up being acquired for $1.2 billion at the time of the closing. You know, ended up being $1.3 billion because it was done in stock. But walk us through how that transaction happened. I mean, how did that transaction come about? And why did you guys thought that doing it in stock, it was the way to go? Because obviously doing it in stock, it's a tremendous risk. I mean, cash is king. You know, stock, you never know what's going to happen. But uh, walk us through it.
1: I mean, uh, you know, we had we had a great product, we had great customers, we had revenues that were ramping. Um, And so our original vision was to obviously build another standalone public IPO company. Uh, But a few things got in the way. Uh, One was obviously the fact that uh, COVID and the pandemic hit and we were impacted by uh, supply chain uh, limitations. Uh, and some of our big customers wanted uh, wanted assurance of supply, if you will. And so they kind of steered us in the direction of a, a potential acquirer, uh, if you will. And during that process, uh, as we were uh, talking to folks, uh, maybe to help us with supply, if you will, we started talking to a bunch of big companies uh, and through that discussion, there was mutual interest between us and marvel in trying to explore a, a potential acquisition um and so that's how how the thing got triggered uh, we were by the way also looking for a follow on round of funding uh, uh, right around the same time and so we had a we had a we had plenty of cash and we had an alternative path uh, had the mna not happened uh, but but we were able to come to a, a reasonable deal between uh, uh, Marvell and us that worked out well for them, for us, as well as for our employees and investors. You know, taking taking uh, an acquisition price in stock was something obviously Marvell was interested in. And we did a due diligence to see that, um, you know, was Marvel stock a good stock, right? So we did some Uh, some homework, if you will, to make sure that we felt comfortable with that. Uh, And then also what happened is that um, uh, typically when you do these acquisitions, uh, the time from the agreement to the close of the the acquisition is something, if it's very long, it introduces higher risk. Now, in our case, obviously, because we had uh, uh, we were a private company didn't have to get certain approvals, for example, uh, international approvals for our acquisition, it went much faster so so what we tried to do was obviously try to minimize the risk, uh, but we felt good given the supply chain limitations that that Marvel had a very good pipeline of revenues going forward. They also had a great strategy that aligned with uh, the the thinking that that we had, and so so that made us much more comfortable in taking uh, Marvel stock, um, and actually worked out very well.
0: No kidding. Now, one point three billion. I mean, that's a absolutely incredible. Now, in your case, you know, hey, you don't stop. You know, why? Why? I mean, after a one point three billion, you know, exit. You know, I would envision you taking it easy. You know, reading books, having margaritas. You know, at the beach. You know, something exciting. Why going at it again?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's uh, I kind of look at it as by chance, if you will. I took some time off, really had a had a good time. Uh, but uh, as I I started to help uh, folks, I you know my thinking was let me help some folks uh, get companies off the ground, and I in that process got uh, got in touch with my co-founder at Oradine, Barun Kar. Uh, Barun is uh, a person who I know because. Palo Alto Networks uh, was a customer of ours uh, at Cavium in, in my Cavium days and Palo Alto Networks as you know has done an incredible job in building a, a leader in the security space with multiple tens of billions of dollars in valuation. Uh, Barun has been with Palo Alto from the founding days. Um, and he was looking to uh, get a company off the ground and he you know we connected and as we started to, to look at it the theme was again very similar we think infrastructure is going to evolve uh, there are things there are new technologies that will create some very powerful uh, uh, improvements in the infrastructure that will again uh, unlock a lot of applications on top of it and we saw Uh, blockchain and we saw security and privacy as some uh, super attractive technologies and some incredible applications on top of it, uh, that we said, let's do this again. And can we build a company that has the potential of being uh, a standalone industry leader uh, in this space? So the idea was, again, uh we had a team you know a number of folks from palo alto we also have a number of folks from cavium so people that uh we all know that have uh, uh, incredible talent and a track record uh addressing a market that's very massive uh and uh, we were able to raise a significant round uh to go after our vision here and so that kind of it created an opportunity that was very compelling to do it again and uh, and see if we can be even more successful than we have been in the past.
0: So I guess in this case, for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model of the company? How do you guys make money?
1: Uh, well, so some of my prior companies were uh, about silicon, and what we would do is we would build silicon products and sell it to companies that would either build systems or that would operate cloud. Uh, a network, so cloud infrastructure. Here what we are doing is we have assembled a team that actually has uh, talents across many areas. So talents across silicon, across security, software as a service, uh, as well as systems. So our plan here is to not actually sell silicon, but to sell system level or cloud level solutions. Um, So so what we intend to do is depending on the on the customer and the and the application area we will either sell complete systems and software managed uh, uh, through a cloud api and cloud interface uh, or in in other cases it will be um kind of a software as a service uh, model to deliver our um, products
0: so for you guys now, you know, there is a, a big announcement that you'd like to share when it comes to fundraising. What has happened in fundraising? What's the big news, Rajiv?
1: Yeah, the big news uh, today, we are uh, announced the fact that we have raised $81 million in CDJ financing for next generation web infrastructure. Our financing has been led this time by Mayfield and Celesta, which are two of the top Silicon Valley venture firms. Along with strategic investors, Stanford University, and a variety of other investors, Um, and uh, our focus again is infrastructure. We want to build uh, for the next generation infrastructure. We want to build highly scalable, secure, and sustainable solutions.
0: But I mean, that's 81 million. It's a lot of money on a Series A. Series A typically is five to fifteen, with a median average of ten. So why so much money?
1: So much money because. Uh, and you know as as you saw that we raised this this money the market is not the best market for fundraising uh, vc capital is down um, what we wanted to do was uh, and, and we were able to get it right and we had we have a uh, uh, customers who are part of this funding round uh, we we felt like we are in a in a window of time with raising raising interest rates uh, with some level of uncertainty on the economy that it was better to raise more upfront to be able to go longer, uh, if you will, to deliver the complete product. Uh, And then we are doing leading edge process technology, uh, silicon, which is expensive as well. Um, So that was really the the driving factor behind taking more capital uh, earlier in this round. And of course, we were able to get an attractive valuation to enable that as well.
0: I mean, obviously, with your background, you know, after having sold your company for $1.3 billion, you know, I'm sure that people were throwing money at you, Rajiv.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, can't complain. And, and uh, you know, I, I certainly am very grateful to the investors and the VCs that have uh, the faith uh, and the trust in not just my abilities, but the team's abilities.
0: Well, no doubt they're very lucky, you know, to be able to invest in what I would consider a tier zero founder, you know, those ones that they are very difficult to come by. Now, in your case, you know, and for the team too, obviously, you know, to those investors, you have to share a vision. So let's see what you you have to share here. Imagine you go to sleep tonight, Rajiv, and you wake up in a world where the vision, you know, the company is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: Yeah, I think that The technologies that we are building that include blockchain, that include AI, that include privacy, uh, over the next five to 10 years will have a multiple trillion dollar impact on the global economy and and the IT. And uh, the way I look at it is that, you know, if you look at the history of the uh, technology industry, we started obviously with mainframes that was very centralized, went to PCs, that were uh, you know more decentralized went to cloud which is uh, quite centralized if you will and now we are moving into uh, edge and iot uh, applications but we live in a world where there are a few companies that have uh, uh, that control a lot of our data and monetize it i think it is time that that people have more power individuals creators um, have more power that they have more economic uh, share of what they're doing. Um, We also are moving into a world where privacy is becoming uh, more and more important. You know, various companies, including Apple and Google, um, have privacy initiatives. But privacy is hard, and there's a trade-off between privacy and security, where uh, the government gets very nervous if everything is private, because then they can't enforce uh, laws and can't enforce regulation. So I think we will have some very attractive technologies uh, that will come out that will enable a number of applications uh, that will drive uh, greater decentralization, will drive greater privacy, um, and um, will have massive, massive impact. So again, we are not announcing a product at this time, uh, but uh, we intend to do a product announcement later this year that will make things a little more clear.
0: Wonderful. So now, if you had the opportunity of going back in time and you were able to go back in time to that moment where you were still, you know, doing your studies, you know, perhaps the PhD and wondering, you know, what would be the uh, professional career, especially the entrepreneurial journey? And you were able to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: You know, I thought. So this is what I kind of think about from time to time. You know, I I personally think that uh, things that have worked well and things I might have uh, done differently, uh, if you will. Overall, I don't have much to complain about. You know, the things that have worked well are the relationships, the friendships, the, uh, uh, you know, the learnings through all these uh, experiences. What I think I would have done uh, is... I would have taken a risk a little earlier than I did, you know, so I, my first startup that I joined was in 1998. The internet had started in 1995. And there was a lot of exciting things that happened. And so I would have done things a little earlier. That's, uh, that's number one. Uh, I think the other thing that uh, I would have, uh, you know, I, I would have done is, When I was growing up and certainly through my college days, I was uh, a very introvert guy. I I really didn't see the value of networking and building relationships until a little bit later. I would have done that uh, also earlier in in life. So I would say those are two things, if I had done earlier, uh, that would have been uh, very useful.
0: I love it. So Rajiv, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: well uh, they can certainly reach out to me on linkedin and connect uh, that's that's one way um, you know I, I, i'll put my email address not not don't promise i will respond to everybody but my email address is very simple it is kemani which is my last name at gmail.com um, so those are two ways to get in touch with me
0: amazing well rajiv thank you so much for being on the dealmaker show
1: today it has been an honor to have you with us Thank you so much, Alejandro. Uh, pleasure is entirely mine.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,